Welcome to the Concerto Podcast Series. Welcome to the Concerto Podcast with me, Justin King. And today I'm joined by Peter Power, who is an associate partner at Concerto Partners. Hi, Peter. Justin, hi. So today, uh, before we get into uh, talking about the main topic, which is people and teams uh, and their performance within a crisis, uh, specifically uh, at a sort of a midpoint, I thought it best, Peter, if you just maybe introduce yourself uh, and just uh, set the scene. Okay, yeah. I uh, For several years, I was the uh, chairman of the World Conference on Disaster Management, which was actually always based in Canada, where from around the world, we used to get 2,000 people turning up for several days. I'm also uh, an author of the British Standard on Crisis Management, BS 11200. And for about 30 years, I've been helping large and small organizations and governments around the world uh, and picked up a lot of good ideas and areas where we shouldn't go uh, whenever we face a crisis. Many thanks, Peter, and uh, welcome. And that leads us quite nicely into really what I want to talk about today, which is really about the people and the teams and how they perform and what lessons they learn as they go through a crisis and anything that you've so you've picked up um, over uh, the uh, many years that you've been uh, involved in crisis management and resilience um, and any lessons that then we can use and utilize and bring forward into the future. Those are really good questions, Justin, and the ones that have come up whenever I've run workshops or other presentations. And I think when we think about the crisis we've now got, the COVID-19 crisis, it's the first time I've ever come across the reverse of what I normally find. And what I normally find is that people's fear exceeds reality. But the reality of what we now have seems to be ahead of fear because people are now becoming far too relaxed about issues they're hoping isn't going to happen and they're in a bit of a rush, I might su- suggest, to actually get back to normal. The other things that come up repeatedly are so many plans that people have prepared for all sorts of crises tend to be written more to protect the author than to actually inform the reader. They might look good by size, they might get executive sign-off, but has it been tested? Has someone actually sat down people and taken them through a proper scenario exercise? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. So I think this issue about people and how humans, teams and individuals respond underpin absolutely everything. To find out, and people often do this in a crisis, they find out what they can measure and then make that important simply because they can measure it. But in a crisis, the things that are important can sometimes be elusive and time spent working out what to do is time spent not tackling the problem. So one of the key things is to find out what are those things are important. And the way of doing that, for example, are three ways. What's important, what's urgent, and what's urgent and important, and only focus on the last one. For example, important could be a, a very senior VIP visiting, but not until three days' time. Or urgent might be something as silly as running out of tea bags. But is that important? Well, no, it's not. But in a crisis, people cling for familiar references to keep them sane in the madness when all the dials have gone into the red. And it takes very special people who've been trained and understand the problem to actually make sense of the world they're now in. Great analogy about uh, tea and VIPs there. One of the things we have discussed in the past, Peter, uh, is fold, freeze or focus. Uh, tell me a bit about that and how that um, sits uh, within the, the crisis situation. 
Yes, it's it, it's something that we used to talk about uh, when I was running the World Conference on Disaster Management. We had experts from around the world, and uh, we picked up a lot of good ideas. And more to the point, we shared those good ideas. And one of the recurring themes when you're faced with the what uh, an author called Patrick Ledershack talked about once, he he said that all crises go through certain phases, and he talked about unness. A world of unness, a world of unimaginable. You're unprepared. It's you're untrained. What's happening is unbelievable, and I can I can understand that most people can do that. Now, when you're faced in that situation, most times it's because your horizon scanning or ability to look at the risk radar hasn't picked up the signals that have been growing in the previous weeks that this is about to happen. That also applies to COVID nineteen. Funnily enough, so you're either going to fold, freeze, or focus. You're going to fold. You're going to collapse. This is more than you can deal with. You, you you can't handle it. Or you freeze like a cat in the headlights if you're driving your car. It'll often do some wholly disproportionate activity, for example, the cat. It, it might wash itself or lick its paws or something uh, rather than do the obvious thing, which is run away. The last thing is to f- focus. And you can only focus on what you're doing when this when a crisis comes tumbling into the door and it, it fractures all the usual frameworks that you normally work with, to focus in that unwilled world, the world of unness, can only happen if you understand people and teams, and the people and teams have to some extent been rehearsed in what's going to happen. Then you can make progress. So effectively, understanding the people and teams, and specifically those people that make up the teams around you, is actually the key here. Um, drawing this to a little bit of a conclusion uh, and going back to the four major parts, um, how does this sit uh, within the anticipate, respond, recover and reform segments of a crisis? Well, that features in the certainly the, the second stage. So anticipate what's happening, what I call horizon scanning, respond to it, don't wait. Now, that's the problem because in a crisis, you're going to have to make the least bad solutions. The data that you normally rely on will be vague, misleading, or perpetually elusive, so that every choice you make in a crisis will come almost certainly with some penalty. There will never be an ideal solution, but a, but a decision has to be made. And then you go on to recovery, although to be honest, recovery starts at the same time as response. So some people are dealing with the respond in a crisis management way, reassuring stakeholders and so on. Meanwhile, at an operational level, people are probably recovering. And then you go into resuming and reforming, so you learn those lessons. But I'd say the lessons that are key are to get that second stage in that four-stage resilience process responding as quick and as competent as you can. It can be done. And as teams, um, how can we um, get ahead of the game, get ahead of the flow of a crisis? When we look at the flow of events in a crisis, these things that always happen, the things that enable us to look back as well as look forward, they always start with surprise and then increased noise and the escalating flow of events. And ultimately, you end up with being extreme stressful situation. But if we can get in front of this and outmaneuver that inevitable process that so often happens and lessen the surprise and be competent, so much the better. At the end of the day, of course, we are all human. Um, and what will normally happen is that barriers will just appear in front of us or we will put those barriers in front of us. Is that, is that, is that also correct? When we look at crisis management barriers to decision-making, there are normally four. 
Complacency, can't see, won't see. Defensive avoidance is the next one. It can't be happening to me, often is said. And then actions you make can make things worse, the things that you do. That's often called perseveration. It's even got a word of its own. And then panic, being overwhelmed, that can happen as well. And I'm often reminded of Einstein's words. Two things are infinite, the universe and human stupidity. I'm not so sure about the universe, he said. That's brilliant. Um, Many thanks indeed, Peter, today. It's been great talking to you about people, uh, teams, and how they respond during a crisis, and lessons that can be learned going forwards. Um, please do get in touch with Concerto if we can help it any way at all possible. Uh, and indeed, if you'd like to talk further about this with Peter, details of how to find us can be found on our LinkedIn page. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, Peter, as always, and look forward to speaking to you very soon. So, Peter, many, many thanks indeed. It's a pleasure. Glad to help. <laughs>